0: Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time once more to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If in all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. Time for a friggin' overall. <music> created this show five years ago. It was really based on the work that I've done for over 25 years on radio, which is, as I mentioned on the the open, trying to find the obvious buried in the absurd, if at all possible. And so much of life as it's presented to us looks absurd. You know, I sat down for five minutes, not even maybe three and a half last night after a day of editing. I sat down, turned on the, uh, the idiot box, as my mom called it, I don't know if she called it that because it's filled with idiots or it makes an idiot of the person who's watching it. But anyway, I turned on the TV, you know, out of reflex. I just sat down long day and I somehow was connected right into the news. And I, after a really good day of editing and putting some great projects together, work with people that I respect and admire, I felt like crap. I thought, well, this is just a shit show. And so I turned it off and immediately I felt better. And the reason I bring that up is because I think the world as it's presented us, Unlike any other time in our history, in the 21st century, with all the tentacles that get into our lives, so much of that information uh, diminishes the human condition and the human experience. So whenever I have the opportunity to come across someone who is doing work that offsets that, I'm all in. And if you have listened to the show over the years, and many obviously you have, and especially those who subscribe to to the podcast, you know I'm always digging for something. That's what I'm looking for. You know, the odds of being born are one in 400 trillion. The fact that you showed up might mean something. A lot of times in our lives, we're kind of just wandering around like playing bumper pool or bouncing around off the walls trying to figure out what we're here to do. And sometimes it's too much of the woulda, coulda, shoulda dance when it gets a little bit late in life. So about five years ago, I guess it was, uh, my friend Sarah Scarlett, who actually was an editor, I believe, on my first two books, in 06 and 10 with Hampton Roads, first book, Living an Uncommon Life, and the second one, Every Moment Matters, which just was released in audio, by the way, read by yours truly. Uh, We've stayed in touch over the years, and she's always sending me people that she knows will kind of pique my interest along the line of upping the life experience. So 2017, she sent me information about a a movie called PGS, Personal Guidance System, by a guy named Bill Bennett. And Here's Bill's short bio, because if I read his long bio, there's no show, it's just Bill's bio show. He's an award-winning filmmaker and author, his home country of Australia, he's won the equivalent of the Oscar, which is the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Film and Best Director, and been nominated a further 12 times. If that had been in the United States, he's friggin' Steven Spielberg. His documentary work has been awarded two Logies, Australian television's highest award. He's had two feature films in the official selection of the Cannes Film Festival and four feature films in official selection at Toronto, which are big deals. He's won Best Picture uh, in Palm Springs and Hawaii and uh, film festivals. His work is screened in the New York Museum of Modern Art. He's at three major film retrospectives in Germany, the U.S. and India, as well as Penguin Random House Uh, completed publishing his trilogy of young adult novels, Palace of Fire is one of its largest selling titles in years. He is on tour with a new movie that he's got coming out. Actually, it's been out. And this Monday night, February 13th, he will be in Skokie at the AMC 18 Village Crossing Theater. And the film starts at 7.30 p.m. When our mutual friend Jennifer Weigel, uh, the illuminated one, will be uh, hosting the event that night. And Bill Bennett joins me on his way to Chicago, but right now he's in D.C., Hey Bill!
1: Wow, John! <laughs>
0: I did it all in one
1: breath. Um, but I've got a question for you. Yes, sir. You know, in your in your intro, you talked about lug nuts. Yes, what sir. Are nuts? Oh. What are lug nuts? What a
0: lug nuts? Well, you have those in Australia too. Those are the nuts that hold the wheels uh, the wheels on the car. Oh, good, <laughs> good. Well, I'm pleased you said that. Yeah, yeah. So that you want your lug nuts tight, Bill. You got otherwise you go off the rails. You know.
1: Okay, got it. Okay, that, that's, that's something I'm going to use in the future. Please believe do. Me. hold
0: on to your lug nuts. <laughs> <laughs> How are you?
1: I'm, I'm good. Look, you, you mentioned before, before we came on air that I'm, I'm a bit tired. It's been a, a hell of a roadshow, this thing. Yeah. But uh, we've, been, we've been taking the film around, uh, I, I call them pop up screenings around America. Yeah. Um, and the response to the film has been really, really strong. Yeah,
0: I'm reading where they're selling out and having to rebook you to come back again in certain places, even though you just left. So that's a good that's, thing. That is a good thing, yeah. What, what do you attribute this... Let me just jump back for a second to the PGS film that Sarah sent me in 2017. That's what piqued my interest in initially. I want to start with that because this concept of intuition, I know that you have kind of discerned two different voices that come to us. One is kind of a cognitive thing, which is out of our learned memory. And then there's this other mystical kind of thing that happens. And I've had a lot of one and some of the other, and I tend to listen to the one that's more mystical than the cognitive one, because the cognitive one's not always on track. But that was really the basis of your work with PGS, was finding our way to the mystical voice.
1: Well, John, absolutely right. What what happened was I was actually moving, uh, working on a movie in New Orleans. Um, I had to go to the airport early one morning before dawn to catch uh, the first flight back to Los Angeles. So I was approaching an intersection, there was a green light up ahead. I was running late, And as I approached the intersection, I heard this voice which said, slow down. Like it was dark. There was no traffic on the road. There was nothing. And I just thought my immediate thought was, I need
2: coffee. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) I went to accelerate to get get through on the green. And the voice came in a second time, more emphatically slow down. So I thought, this is weird. I'm going to slow down. I slowed down in this massive truck. Ran the red light on the cross street mm. um through the intersection i then jammed on the brakes narrowly missing it um i had that had i not heard that voice more importantly had i not acted on that voice that truck would have killed me mm. and that and that uh, i pulled up on the other side of the intersection and three questions came to me immediately what was that voice where did it come from and why did it save my life and it was those three questions then that really propelled me over the next 10 years to research intuition and then to ultimately make that film. Mm.
0: And prior to that, this is not something that you grew up with in Australia, surrounded by people who were, you know, uh, inclined to believe such things.
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. Did not I put like, that well? <laughs> uh, well? Basically what you're saying was my parents weren't hippies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and No, they weren't, they were both dentists um, in fact, uh, all my siblings went into the uh, medical sciences. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, when I when I left college, um, I went straight or oh, um, high school, I guess you can call it, um, I went straight into med school. I did uh, two years of medicine before um, before I realized that it wasn't for me. And I switched course. So I came from a very evidence based background. And my first ten years in my working life was at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation as a journalist which only reinforced my evidence-based way of thinking. And so when this happened, it, it shook me up. It, um, and, and John, I've got to say, when, when I thought about making the film, I thought, I can't do this as a journalist. I can't do this like it's going to be a BBC knowledge mm. documentary or something like that. I had to keep an open mind. Um, and that's the way I approached it. And, and that was probably the most important uh, decision I made in the making of the film, to keep an open mind because I came across uh, an array of extraordinary people that just fundamentally changed my thinking. Mm -hmm. And during the course of making that film, I fundamentally changed my life, I changed who I was.
0: Do you think that the kind of the minor setup behind the scenes here, Bill, is that your prior training as a journalist that you didn't probably know you were gonna employ with this intuition-based investigation, it kind of obviously was a setup to help you do this better?
1: John, I'll tell you something. Um, before making the film, and in fact, even during the making of that very first film, I had a very uncomfortable relationship with God. In fact, I couldn't even utter the word. I know, you see, and, You
0: just hesitated right there.
1: Well, exactly. It's still there,
2: and,
1: uh, huh? Yeah. Well, it's not really, not really there, but, but I, I remember going into the editing of the film finally, you know, with about 120 hours of material. Asking myself, can I make this film without using the G word? Mm. And by the end of the editing, and the editing took nearly three years. Wow. I, that was not a question. I mean, if you're going to look at intuition, then you have to look at um, what you call mystical intuition. Mm-hmm. And just on that, I, I came to understand that there are actually four types of intuition. Okay. There's what I there's what I call survival intuition, which is survival of the species, which is um, the mother's intuition, for yeah. instance. That's then cognitive intuition, which is based on uh, subsumed memory recall. Um, it comes from expert knowledge, then there's mystical intuition, which is that voice. But then there's a fourth intuition called proxy intuition. And proxy intuition is intuition, which comes to you from another person, or through an, through another means. So in other words, proxy intuition is the intuition, which which has uh, somebody come up to you and tap you on the shoulder and say, Bill, I really don't think you should catch that flight this Uh, afternoon. I uh, don't know why. But I just got a bad feeling about it. And you you find out that flight goes down. You know, that's proxy intuition, that's intuition that comes through because you are blocking it. Because I firmly believe that intuition has two, um, it has two purposes. One is to guide you through life. But the second purpose is to keep you alive, because you can't fulfill your life's purpose if you're dead.
0: That's true, you know. This uh, what we're talking about here is is a much broader base to it, but we're kind of just scratching the surface, the the tip of the iceberg. And I and I think about I can't remember who exactly shared this with me, but they talked about the concept of knowledge and deeper knowledge in a strangest way of a shower curtain that you would hang in your bathroom, and you can't pull the whole curtain until you pull the first ring. So I guess they were trying to get at the fact that we have all these events in our lives, and that's kind of the first ring. And if you don't accept it, if you don't dig into it, if you hadn't listened to that voice, we wouldn't be having this conversation anyway. But if you didn't listen to that, that was the first nudge, the first pull. Once that happens, this string of opportunities to follow much in the same shows up at different points. And we then at each point have free will and say yes to this or no to this. And it seems kind of like a a little bit of a a juxtaposition, a teeter totter, a, a little bit of tug of war between the material and the spiritual.
1: Well, that's quite true, but now looking back and now now that I know um, what I know about intuition, I can look back at my life and I can pinpoint about three or four instances where intuition um, cut in at a a crossroads. On a couple of those occasions, I ignored it and I suffered the consequences, Mm. which were really quite dire at the time. Uh, Other times I went with it and my life opened up in new directions Mm -hmm. um you know so so intuition does does come to you at really important parts of times of your life but you know the reason i'm making this film now on fear i've made this film on fear is because i realized during the making of uh, the intuition film that fear is the greatest obstacle to intuition Mm -hmm. we all get these intuitive tugs and nudges and whispers and voices and things like that they come to us in various ways but most of us um afraid to follow them because it means treading into new territory yeah it means it means making change it means going into the unknown and most of us are scared of that
0: yeah let me just show you a a condensed version of of my first um inkling of this after two near-death experiences which i didn't even know what they were called when they took place when i was 19 years old i was electrocuted working a part-time job and the the pharmacist performed CPR and I came back. I didn't have any floating above experiences or anything like that, except it was apparent to me I was dead. I just knew that like on some visceral level. The next thing I know, there's a guy in my chest pounding on me to wake up and a bunch of girls around me crying. And I survived that. And seven years later, after my marriage, three weeks after we were married, we were hit broadside by a drunk driver. Same thing. Checked out, covered up, had to bring me back. But that was a little bit different experience where I was more kind of just uh, seeing everything for miles around. Everything was hypervigilant. I could smell like what someone was having for dinner a mile away, it was very strange. And I could hear the people trying to get me out of the car even though they'd covered me up and I knew he's not breathing, he's not breathing. So those are the first two times that I thought, eh, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe I should listen. At the time, you know, basically a knuckle-dragging ex-jock who thought the most important thing on Sunday was the box scores. And those two experiences jarred me into a different place and I, and I didn't want a third one, right? We don't want three, three strikes and you're out in my opinion. So after that, this long series of things started happening where I you know, left uh, the job I was in when I got in the car accident, I went back to college, that led to the next thing. And it was like these little dominoes were falling and I had a chance to say yes or no to each one. But the big one was in 1995, I started having this recurring dream of walking every other morning. I would see myself on the side of the road with a backpack on, with a big beard and a stick in my hand, and the sun was setting on my left, and I was walking on this piece of curved road. I had zero idea what it meant, except it was really bugging the shit out of me. And when I would wake up in the morning, it would felt like somebody was dragging their finger over my forehead horizontally. It was the strangest thing. And so long story short, and I've written about it in both of my books, uh, the f- this first book and the second book. I actually wrote about it in my third book, Phenomenon. There's always these pieces that, through un- unbelievable circumstances, I found myself living in a motel with my family in Upper Michigan, and that dream happened again. And I went to the man who owns the motel, who's a Native American gentleman, and I said, this is what's been going on. It's been going on for months. You know, everybody I know thinks I've lost my mind because I have a degree, I'm a veteran, I've done everything right. What the hell am I doing living in a motel? And he says, well, you're having a vision. Like, you know, we have those every day in Chicago. We don't. So he says, you have a choice. You could follow what you're being shown or you could just sit in the motel room and drink coffee. And again, the long and short of it is myself and two other men walked to Chicago on foot and then I walked back home north alone which is a distance about a thousand miles round trip. And it was on the way back, outside of the town of Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, that Bill, I was walking on a curved piece of road with a backpack on and a beard and the setting sun on my left and a stick in my right hand for the walk, and I froze. Because I was literally walking in the scene I'd been dreaming for a year before that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i not equipped to do anything like that. My circuit's blue, I don't know what how that happens. and. In in that instant, when I realized that I was in what I had already dreamt, uh, this voice, clear as a bell, John, go on the radio. And I have zero experience, zero desire, zero interest, none of that stuff. But it was like this, orders from headquarters, this is how it is. And it was a gentle, persuasive declaration. So... Somebody picked me up about three, four hours later. They knew you know my route that I was walking. And I got in her car and I said, Molly, I'm supposed to go on the radio. And she says, you need a shot of wild turkey and a hot shower <laughs> is what you need. And the long and short of it is that's exactly what happened. Uh, about six, eight months later, uh, I, I woke up one morning in this little hotel or motel we were living in. I started calling radio stations out of a phone book, cold calling. I was 37 years old with zero experience. And I've been doing this for 27 years. So I don't know how that happens, I don't, and I've listened to some of the interviews and some of the trailers for the movie, and I don't know whose voice that was or where it came from, but I will tell you one thing. You know, I, I don't go to church, I don't study religious things, stuff like that, but my auntie, who lived with us when I was growing up, was a devout Lutheran, and the one thing that I wanted when she passed away was her Bible, because she wrote in it, she read from it every morning, and I came across a passage that I think, for me, was at least some explanation in terms I could somewhat understand of what happened to me. And this is from John fourteen twenty six. It says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, in a religious sense, and in her Lutheran sense, it made sense to me. That one voice, and I, you know what, Bill? I've never heard John go off the radio, so I guess I'm doing what I'm supposed to do.
1: It's a wonderful story john it's a wonderful wonderful story and and um i learned from that and i think a lot of people can learn from that um it's um you know and a couple of things occurred to me as as i was listening to you I, i've walked five caminos now camino is um, oh yeah camino de, de santiago you might know it's yep. a long pilgrimage route from uh, saint john peter in france across, uh, right across the top of uh, spain to uh, Santiago de Compostela, I've walked five of those Caminos now. Mm. And in fact, um, in 2013, coming up to 10 years ago, I worked, walked my first Camino. Um, and here's the thing, I've been trying to get this intuition film made for a long, long time. And, and as you can tell from my resume, I'm, I know I'm way around the film industry and I, I've been quite successful in getting movies made in the past. Mm-hmm. But with this one, I was just getting blockage after blockage and it just wasn't happening. And so I decided to walk the Camino de Santiago, and dedicate the walk to PGS, to this movie that I wish to make. And I decided that I would do the walk intuitively, which means that I wouldn't plan anything. I wouldn't. I would just allow the walk and the way to guide me. And uh, you know, and you got to understand. <laughs> once again, you you read my, my resume. Mm-hmm. I'm very ordered, organized. I'm. You know, I, I planned down to the, to the finest detail. Mm-hmm. So to walk this walk intuitively was a huge leap for me. But what happened was this um, I finished a walk and within six months I was making the film. Uh huh.
0: And what do you attribute? That, what do you, how do you connect those two real quick? What does that mean, the walk and then the film? What happened to you? Because in my mind, once my body was engaged and I was able to walk off all my fears of, Living in a motel, feeling like a failure, family thought I was nuts. You know all the stuff that you fear around that. Once that was cleared up, my only focus was walking. Things started happening, and I could hear that I, you know, it was clear is what it really came down to be.
1: Yeah. Um, what happened was this: I, um, I went to bed one night, and I, and I before I went to bed, I asked, I, I said, right in the morning. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make a decision as to whether or not I should continue banging my head against the wall, trying to get this film made or whether I should give it one last shot. So I went to bed with that, with that intention, not, it wasn't really, it wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't really like i wrote a note under my pillow or anything like mm-hmm. that. I just said to myself, like in the morning, I, I've got to just like decide whether or not I'm going to keep doing this or not. That night I had this most incredible dream and in this dream, um, i was shown how to make the film uh, and i won't go into detail unless you want me to but but the dream told me specifically how to make the film and what to do hmm. i woke up out of that dream kind of like a cliche you know like bolt yeah. upright eyes wide open <laughs> you know like, like <laughs> yeah. with the, with this dream and and the dream is most dream dreams fade honestly you know this dream yep. is still clear in my head right now as i speak to you. With this dream in my head, and I looked across at the um, at the at the clock on the bedside table, and it was four forty four. Now, at this point, I was still very much evidence based in my thinking, and but I knew enough to know this is weird. I've just had this incredible dream, and now it's four forty four. So I, I reached my iPad and I googled, "What does four forty four mean?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I came do- during virtue, and it said. 440, and I'm paraphrasing now, but it basically said 444 means that at this moment, you are surrounded by your angels, your archangels, your spirit guides, and they are encouraging you to move forward with your plans, and know that if you listen to your inner wisdom and your uh, intuition, you will be guided to success. Hmm. So I'm sitting lying there in bed, right, just having had this dream and then reading this and I go, bloody hell, what do I do? And I knew at that moment, John, that this wasn't a decision about whether or not I should make the film. This was a decision as to whether or not I should change. Ah. Because, I, because I knew at that moment, like, you know, and this is, this is like July in Australia, so it's cold. It's winter here. It's winter there. And I knew at that moment that what, what was confronting me was a fundamental change. So I went back to sleep. And then when I woke up later that morning, I booked two tickets to India. I went out and bought a camera and some sound gear and some lighting gear. Like I've been a movie director all my life, you know, but, but when you make a movie, you've got, you got a team of 120 people. Sure. You've know, you got a camera department of like, you know, six or seven or eight or how many you've got sound, sound people. But this, this dream told me I've got to go out and I've got to shoot it myself. I've got to record the sound myself. And in the process of that, more will happen. Well, I ended up funding that film uh, through private equity for one point five million dollars, and and I had I had sufficient bells and whistles to make the film the way mm-hmm. I want to make it. Mm-hmm. But it was that dream, and then four four four, and then reading what four 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 meant, that changed my life.
0: In the middle of the, and I, be, I don't know the exact timelines, and you do. But I also know that there was a health challenge that popped up for you, and it was interesting. I was, you know, I follow you on Facebook and a couple other social media things, and you had a health challenge that popped up that really put you front and center to actually have to confront the greatest fear I think most people have, which is our mortality, and that somehow was able to have you segue between the intuition thing and the fear thing. What took place?
1: Well, I I had decided to make the film on fear uh while i was marketing uh pgs but about um a few months after having decided to make the film i was diagnosed with parkinson's disease now i <laughs> that's what i gotta say you know like like i have looked after myself i've, I've remained fit healthy I've, I've eaten well it made no sense for me to be diagnosed with parkinson's disease the only thing that made sense to me was that I, I was given this as a gift, so that I could somehow put this into service for other people. But it was kind of like the universe saying to me, "Bill, okay, if you're going to make a film on fear, <laughs> let's do it authentically. Let's show <laughs> you real fear. Cop this, mate."
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're that you have that going on, and then you're out making this film, and some of the names that are in the facing fear film that people will see in Skokie at the Village Crossing 18 AMC Theater, Monday night here outside of Chicago, hosted by our good friend, John Weigel, um, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I've spent a little bit of time with years ago and has found his work uh, paramount. In seeing life different than we've been taught to see it, he's always been incredible. Carolyn Mace, who is one of my favorites, and many others. You went and interviewed these folks and had conversation with them. These are luminaries, experts with insights and inspirations most people really haven't been able to grasp yet. What what are some of the things that people can expect to hear from them in the film?
1: Um, John, look, it's um, it's quite diverse, and and one of the things that I try to do with these films, both with uh, with PGS now and with this facing fear film. And by the way, I've decided now that there are going to be five films in this series. Mm. Um, the next film I'm doing, which I've already started working on is a film on hope. Wow. Then the film after that is a film on love. And the film after that is going to be the veil. So there's going to be intuition, fear, both done hope, love and the veil. Mm-hmm. Um, and that um, that i think encompasses Look, what i'm really interested in is the the the, the journey of the soul um you know I'm, <laughs> here i am right in this, i'm standing in, right at the moment in this ashram in washington dc um that sister Jenna and the uh, brahma kumaris have uh, have established i mean 10 years ago i would laugh myself silly yeah. thinking that this would be my life now yeah um yeah you know it's just and, and talking to somebody such as yourself but to, but to get back to your question um look the, the film looks at fear from a, a whole bunch of different perspectives we've got dr and we've got carolyn and bruce lipton and lee carroll who channels charles Cryon, and uh, paul selig and, but um, we've also got a professor from harvard that uh, has uh, a, a, a world famous um, clinical psychologist who has uh, establish the internal family systems modality of uh, treating treating trauma and so forth we've got um I, I found an elite sniper who is a retired colonel from the u.s rangers mm. so we've got a, we've got a quite quite a uh, diverse variety of people um but in the end um they all come at fear from i think probably the same perspective and that is that fear isn't something that you need to fear. I mean, it, it's totally counter to what Franklin D. Roosevelt said, you know, the only thing that, that you need to fear is fear uh. itself. yourself. What, what this film says is, no, you don't need to fear fear. Um, fear can be your friend. It can be your ally. It can motivate you. Mm-hmm. It can warn you. Uh, it can encourage you. Um, it can push you in new directions. You don't need to fear it at all, but what you do need to do is face it and find out what it's telling you. That's what you need to do.
0: I did a TED Talk in Ontario in 2018, just before the pandemic, and the the, uh, theme of that TED Talk was called Human Math. And uh, the concept that you know, when we get here, uh, we're leaving here. We all know how we showed up. We have a birth certificate, how much we weighed, who our parents are, where we were born, what our foot looked like, you name it. But there is zero evidence yet uh, to when we're leaving. And I, I've always come for myself to the mindset that we come in in time and we leave on time. And none of us know when that time is. And so that makes the time in between those two bookmarks, those bookends, all important. And then if you're one out of 400 trillion showing up on the planet, you don't waste your time you know, to a greater or less degree and you find out what you're here to do. That may not be the norm when it comes to people living their lives, but I think there's something, at least in my lifetime, I've seen some shifts take place where people are more interested in the things that you're offering than they were when I was a kid, per se, and I think some of it has to do with the uh, availability of information that we didn't have. I had four channels growing up, Bill. I don't know how many I had in Australia, but we—I had four, and that's very limited information coming down four streams of, you know, of uh, of uh, media. Now it is everywhere, all the time, 365. And as I mentioned on the way in. Not all of it's good. You know, I think we take a battering and a beating. If we, we connect with all the stuff in the world that is of a lower vibration, then there's evidence for that. But when you're offsetting it with a film like you've done and talking with the people that you've talked to, it seems to be a counterbalance to that stuff. So the question then becomes, you know, what is the even the deeper why you're here thing? Past the fear, I think, is our why.
1: Exactly. And that's that's what motivates me to, to make these films. Um, it's... Um... You know, John, look, you know, people come up to me after the screenings and they go, oh, look, you're doing such wonderful work for the world and, and, and stuff like this. I say, no, I'm not. I'm actually doing work for me. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah,
1: yeah I'm, I mean, look, thank you, thank you very much for saying that, you know, mm-hmm. and, but, but this is not altruistic. This is purely selfish. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you used a curse word before, so I'll, I'll, I'll use a curse word now. I'm curious as all shit.
2: You <laughs> thank know? you for joining
1: <laughs> the club. About <laughs> <laughs> what the bloody hell is going on. Yes. You yes. know, and, and who am I, and what is my purpose? But coming back to the G word, I, I've now got rid of that altogether. I absolutely believe in God, in Source, in a mystical universe. Um... I'll tell you something, John. When I was when I was um, promoting PGS around America, and I had to stand up in front of the film and do Q and A's afterwards, I was terrified. Uh-huh. I, I could barely I could barely put three words together. You know, oftentimes I would call my wife up; she would be sitting in the audience, and I'd say, "Can you please answer this question?" <laughs> I, I'm serious. Yeah. That's all gone. Yeah. And the reason I was terrified was not not because of this sort of you know, fear of public speaking as such. No, I was terrified in declaring who I was, because, because, you know, that was the thing that was terrifying me most of all. Now I'm really comfortable as to who I am. And I don't worry about what people think of me, you know, I I am a fundamentally changed person to the person that I was before I made PGS, you know, and but but here's the thing, John, and this is where I think we uh, share similarities, you and I both came from similar backgrounds in the sense that we were ordinary blokes yeah we were ordinary blokes now if we can make a change then other ordinary blokes can make a change other other ordinary women can make a change other ordinary people of genders that are unspecified can make a change Mm -hmm. if we can make that change other people can as well you know and one of the things that i say um, you know, when people go, oh, you're this, you're that, you're that, I go, no, hold on, I'm not special. I'm no. not special at all. I'm, I'm just an ordinary person, you know, and if I'm special, it's only because over a period of 40 years, I've acquired the skills to make a movie, you know, and find means to get it out there to people. That's no. the only thing that's special about me, but, but that's just nuts and bolts. That's, lug, as that's might,
0: lug nuts, right? <laughs> as you might say, that lug nuts. That's right. lug nuts, brother.
2: You know, let me, two yeah. things.
0: Uh, Jennifer Weigel, who is hosting your event, uh, she's similar in the way that she's a journalist as well. She was an Emmy Award-winning lug nut-tightening journalist and hard reporter and covering If It Bleeds, It Leads. And when her father, Tim, passed away, it shifted her gears. And so she takes all of her journalistic background, much like you did, and she's very you know, inquisitive of why, how is this possible that I've had these experiences since my father died? What was the connection there? And so I find that I get to hang out with the converts, which is where I'm really comfortable. I know what it's like to be on the front side of all this and go, I don't know what the F you're talking about, and then turn the channel, and now I'm on this side of it imploring people listening to the show going, you gotta see this film. So it's, it's a kind of an arc of experience. But let me just add this to that. I never once took a class in high school or college that said Intuition 101, 102, 103, nothing. Nothing I took in school, even though there's some place for it, prepared me for what was to follow. Living in a motel, donating a kidney to my daughter, losing people in my life, um, starting with scratch, getting on the radio when you're not really you know, equipped to do that. All the things that were the big turning points in my life, I had zero training for, except for life itself. And I think there's a lot of people that come to the work that you do and connect with what you do because they are in the simpler position. They're kind of coming back for a refresher course on what's really important.
1: Uh, John, I think that's right. And I'd like to point out one thing um, which I have kind of gathered over the period, and that is this. Um, the universe, source, whatever you want to call it, chooses people who have attributes that can disseminate Source's message. So in other words, you asked before about um, my journalism training and my training as a filmmaker. Um, I firmly believe now that Source chose me to do what I'm doing, that, I, that you know, I, I had lunch with Lee Carroll the other day. Now, Lee's story is that he was an audio engineer um, before Source tapped him on the shoulder. Paul Selig was uh, a dramatist at NYU, mm-hmm. you know, so so and, and with your training as well. So, yeah. so I firmly believe that this is about dissemination and that Source does choose ordinary people who have acquired skills that Source can use in a way that helps communicate that message.
0: You know, the great poet, Edwin Rodsworth Longfellow said, the human voice is the organ of the soul. And I have uh, spent thousands of hours in radio, uh, traditional broadcasting on, you know, quote regular radio terms and uh, AM, FM radio and talk shows all over the country and all that kind of stuff, and then in satellite radio, which is an interesting idea for me. It's a metaphor somewhat that, you know, this this um, voice is coming from another place, and a satellite and satellite radio now is the norm. And you know, we have them in our vehicles and things like that. When I first started radio, there was no such thing, and so I see the evolution of audio in a metaphorical way as to this concept we're talking about. But, but the thing about audio work and the thing about editing for me is vibration. And when you think about the technical pieces that are making this actual show work, you are 1200 miles to the east of me in DC, I'm in Chicago, people are gonna be listening to this all over the world through vibration, through satellite vibration, through internet vibration and everything vibrates. Matter of fact, I just had my internet upgraded to super, super fast, because it wasn't fast enough before, Bill. I need super, super fast. <laughs> and the guy gave me, I got it right here. The guy gave me the wire that, and it's not even a wire. It's just, there's nothing to it. It's the width of two human hairs that carries all this information. And I asked him, how is that possible, that you, can, you know, that this can be done? And it's uh, by light waves, and so when he told me that, all of a sudden, of course, my mind's working again. It's like, well, when you take vibration and light and put them together, amazing information can come to you. But you have to have a discernment, in my opinion, my observation, and certainly my experience, to know which which you're listening to, what information you're taking on, and which what's making you lighter, what's making you heavier. So now we have access to more information than any group of humans have had since the beginning of time. And a lot of it is not good for us, quite frankly. Um, but there are these pockets of things that are good for us. And so in the last few minutes together, if you could just talk to the energy of vibration about the kind of work you do, the people you've been around, and this the vibration of fear overcoming that with the vibration of light. No pressure. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you said a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, oh, crikey. John, where do I start? Um, look, I, I guess I can start by saying that i feel extraordinarily privileged you know i sat down with sister jenna last night who's one of one of america probably one of the world's you know leading spiritual voices and she wanted me to sit right by her side so that she could she could talk to me and there were only five people at the dinner table but i kind of sat back and i thought my god what what a privileged position am i in to be able to have this sort of conversation um, you know, with, with somebody such as her, and now I count as friends these people that I have interviewed, and you know, I, I just kind of, but it, it all comes down at vib- vibrations, you mm-hmm. say, as to frequency, as to energy, and of course, we are nothing, you know, when mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, we are just a a, a bundle of empty space. I mean. You know, talking about fear um i have now largely lost all fear um and the reason that i've lost all fear is that i discovered during the making of this film that all fear is essentially based on loss i cannot uh, and i've asked widely i cannot find a fear that is not in some way when you drill down based on loss and so i came to the conclusion that if you can come to terms with your fear of loss, whatever that loss is, loss of abundance, loss of uh, looks, status, um, you know, loss of life being the ultimate one. If you can come to terms with, with that loss, then you, you can let go of fear. And I have come to terms with that. I'm, I'm not scared of dying. I'm not scared of losing everything. I'm not scared of what people think of me. I'm not scared of change. I'm not scared of any of these things. And so in not being scared of those things, I don't fear them. You know, I, I, I'm not. I'm not um, what am I trying to say? I don't fear losing those things. I don't fear losing my life. I don't fear losing all my money, which ain't that much anyway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't even fear losing my my wife. I've been married to her for forty years and who I love very much. If she if she left, of course I would grieve. I, I would be heartbroken, but I don't fear that. You know, people say, oh, you're away from your children, don't, don't you worry about them? No, you know, if they die, they die. You know, and I do believe that, as you said earlier, that there, there is a time to come into the world and there is a time to leave the world as well. You know, and you're absolutely right, John. What, um, you, you know, what we are all searching for is for meaning and for purpose and to understand what our purpose is, because sometimes it's so confusing most people at the moment are in survival mode. You know, we've been traveling around America and I, I talk to, you know, people who come up in the servers at, at um, restaurants and things like that. And I, I dig deeper and, you know, and most people are really struggling. They're doing it really tough. And they're, and they're wanting to find out more. They're wanting to know that their life means something. And that's what I'm trying to do as well. You know, I'm not making this film for them. As I said, I'm making it for myself. And in the process, I hope that I'm, Providing keys for other people to make some sense of their life.
0: I want to thank Bill Bennett for uh, taking time out of his extremely busy schedule. Uh, All these uh, movie showings that he's got across the country. Chicago is his next stop. Uh, You're hearing this on a Saturday. This this coming Monday night, February 13th, Bill will be at the uh, AMC Village Crossing Theater in Skokie, Illinois. And the film starts at 7.30 p.m. And as I've mentioned a couple of times in the show, Jennifer Weigel, who is my gal pal from radio and other things, will be hosting the event in the evening. It's well worth the price of admissions like sixteen bucks. So you expect to sit for a couple hours and, and watch this film. And you know, when you if nothing else, to me, it is a, a a way to push back on the erosion of life, you know. As I mentioned in the in the conversation with Bill, we're not taught this stuff. Nobody you know, when I went to high school, my best grades were lunch and gym. I mean, come on, what do you expect out of me? We don't even put ketchup on our hot dogs in Chicago. You want me to have greater consciousness? Life is what does that to us, if we're aware of it. I think life squeezes everybody. And, you know, when you squeeze oranges, you get orange juice. When you squeeze tomatoes, you get tomato juice. When you squeeze humans, all kind of shit comes out. And sometimes we need to be squeezed in a way that shit gets out so we can have our lives clear up. When I was talking about living in the motel, which it seems like a hundred years ago, but I recall those, those times in there and that walk that I took and Dwayne and Joe and everybody else that was part of it. And um, it's like watching someone else's movie, except I was in it and I was there. But it wasn't, I wasn't the originator of the script as I see it. This was offered to me. Do you wanna be in this role, John? If not, somebody else will take it. And after many months of kind of denying it and pushing it away and not understanding it, when I finally said, okay, what do you want from me? Things started happening and they haven't stopped. There's been a lot of flux here and there. Uh, I've had some times where I took timeouts and took a break and things like that. But this microphone always pulls me back. And when I heard go on the radio in 1996, as I said to Bill, I've never once heard, stop. And so I will continue to do this as long as I'm supposed to. Again, Monday night, February 13th at 7.30. Bill will be at the uh, AMC Village Crossing Theater in Skokie. And the film starts at 7.30 p.m. You should also be checking out Bill's website where you can find out more about what he's doing, billbennett.com.au for Australia. G'day. I wanted to say g'day or shrimp on the barbie. I should have got to that. Anyway, Bill's website, billbennett.com.au and all the information he has about all the shows and works that he's done in the books and everything else he's involved in is there. Great guy. Uh, And as he pointed out, I think this is something that's important because I've not heard a lot of other people say this. You know, he's selfish. He's doing this for himself. I will put myself in the same category. This is my salvation to some degree, so I don't slip into being a total jerk, a total ass, become part of the world, you know, be cynical and negative and pissed off about stuff that's outside of my control. This keeps my head above water, so to speak, and keeps my the bubble in the middle of the level of my life. So I appreciate you listening and I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me today, especially the Life 2.0 subscribers, five years. You guys have been plunking down 20 bucks a month, five bucks a week. That comes out to 66 cents a day. I appreciate it. To send you off appropriate tunage for my brother from another mother, Mark Cleveland, perfect way to end this episode. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith.
2: So my killing, it's in my blood to get up and walk, even if there is so my killing, it's in my blood to get up and walk, even if there is so my killing, it's in my blood to get up and walk, even if there is so my me, it's in my blood to get up and walk. <àsic> the road, full moon was burning bright. He told me of an old way, another path to take if I just get up and walk. If I just get up and walk. His eyes were screaming starlight, his hair was streaming white. He flew in from the north wind, his form was made of light. He said get up and walk. He said get up and walk. And then he said, "Even if the so might kill me, it's in my blood. Get up and walk, even if there is so much kill it's in my blood. Get up and walk, even if the so much kill it's in my blood. To get up and walk, even if the so my kill it's in my blood. To get up." Cornfield. in the center was a mound of clay he stopped the dance around it and the drums began to play I got up and walked and I got up and walked and 14,000 dancers with turtle shells and bones and feathers from an eagle my brothers turned to stone got up and walked they just got up and walked Even if the red so my kid means in my blood. To get up and walk, even if the rinse on my kid, it's in my blood. To get up and walk, even if the rinse on my key, it's in my blood. To Get up and walk, even if the rinse on my key, it's in my blood, to get up and Into a fire, you blew up with the smoke. He sang a song of a solitude. It's then that I awoke. I got up and walked. I just got up and walked. He said, He said, It's in your blood. You got to get up and walk. He said, It's in your blood. You got to get up and walk. He said, It's in your blood you got to get up and walk You said it's in your blood You've got to get up and walk